A Walk in Kensington Gardens by Dorothy Porter Solitude is where writers chatter best. A soothing static. The ambulatory, admit it, happy, ticking over. Like this afternoon in the sweet green cold London spring. I watch a tall grey heron stomping down its reed nest that's sprouting everywhere like garden-sheared hair. And all my living and all my dead run up my arms like squirrels. So silent co-producer Kay suggested that instead of overcomplicating things, why don't I just do something a bit more relaxed for episode 200? He said, why don't you just go out uh, into a park somewhere and just chat and so that's what I'm trying to do, although this might just end up um, traffic noise. So that takes the pressure off a bit. Might not be able to use any of this. There's been a very few, very, very few people who have said to me, usually when I've interviewed them, they've said, you know, Alice, you should be getting paid for this. You should go to the Australia Council or someone and ask them for some money. And my response is usually, I don't want to, mostly because I'm lazy, um, but also because I don't like what happens when money touches this stuff. I've been paid to do this work a little bit before, and it just makes everything really complex. Oh, I've got a dog friend. Hello. Yes, I'm not going to do that. That's been my call all along and I'm not about to change. Uh, this is not the point at which I turn around and say, hey, guess what? You got to pay me money now. But I was thinking about that and I was thinking, look, if you are someone who has been listening to this show, for a while and you like it and you have that thought that gee Alice should be getting paid for this here's something that you could do here's here's my idea there is this uh, organization here in Melbourne called Elizabeth Morgan House they are a community controlled Aboriginal women's service and they do all kinds of really really incredible important work they provide housing and crisis accommodation for Aboriginal women. They also provide court and Centrelink support and I know about them because a friend of mine works at Centrelink and she says that they are uh, really good to go to and really good to support Aboriginal women in dealing with the hell that is Centrelink. Um, I think that's really that's a really great thing to be able to provide people and so if you like this show and you feel like giving some money to it, maybe consider uh, giving money to an organisation like that instead. I will link to Elizabeth Morgan House in the show notes. Please do not even consider doing that if it would be in any way uh, an imposition on you financially. But if you have a spare five bucks hanging around, uh, it would actually mean the world to me if you wanted to do that. 
they're, as I say, they're a very, very cool organization. Tried to fundraise for them through doing shows last year. All of that fell apart, uh, as everybody well knows. <laughs> yeah, 2021 didn't work out. But yeah, I, I would just be so grateful if you felt like doing that. That's the admin out of the way. I have a very wonderful and wise yoga teacher who also happens to be the Melbourne poet and academic Antonia Pont. And the best thing about doing yoga with Antonia um, is that she just comes out with the, the most, the funniest and wisest things just off the cuff. And one of the things that she said the other week was, self-knowledge is ultimately pretty useless, which I totally agree with. Because any kind of insight that you gain, essentially it's just information. And if you don't use it to change your behavior, uh, then it's just yet more knowledge. I think actually the way she put it was, insights, they're fun to have but they don't ultimately change very much. So when I was thinking about what to do for this episode, I thought what I did 100 odd episodes ago, episode 99, and I did like everything I'd learned over the course of making the podcast up until that point. And I considered trying to do something like that again. But as Antonia says, insights, don't ultimately do very much for you. I also lost my license to give advice around about the time that I recorded that 99th episode. So think of this as not advice, definitely not advice. Think of these as anti-insights because they are intentionally shaky and open to question and changeable. But they are, they do fall into the category of things I wish I knew, things I wish I could get through my head. Because I've now done around a hundred interviews with poets for this show and 200 episodes. And over that time, my thinking has changed in some important ways. And it's also refused to change in some frustrating ways. So that is what I'm thinking about today, sitting in this beautiful park. It is a Friday evening. It is absolutely stunning weather. The trees are blindingly green. Everything is just gorgeous. I have with me my copy of Dorothy Porter's last book, The Bee Hut. Um, which is just one of those books that's nice to have with you. It's nice to have around. And there's a few poems from this that I might turn to at certain points. I'll never get to interview Dorothy, but she's always there. She's always there in the background. So when I did that, that 99th episode, I, I listened back to it yesterday it was painful, <laughs> painful to listen to myself in mid-2019 
um, yeah, just before everything went quite, quite dramatically down the drain. But I still agree with most of what I said, actually. I was talking about how hard we are on ourselves. Yes, guilty, still, still doing that. Um, still hard on myself about how much I write, how much I read. Everybody else seems to very much fall in line with that. Everybody, everyone that I talk to. I talked a little bit about how much poetry events suck at the time I was running one. Talked a little bit about the Coldplay problem, poets that are too popular to talk about loving the guilty pleasures. I was talking about your Mary Oliver's, Billy Collins, and how when I would turn off the mic, people would often turn to me and say, well, I really love Billy Collins. I actually think this might be less of a problem now than it was even three years ago. And I was talking about how you need trash. I definitely still agree with that. I did an episode all about it a couple of months back. You gotta have trash, you gotta have it. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that I've been thinking about, things that I wish that I knew, things I wish that I could remember. I wrote down a whole list, I came up with like 25 things. I narrowed it down to 12. The first thing that came to mind, and I do this some days better than others, is be a human being first, for God's sake. Too often I feel like for me and for other people, being a poet uh, or purporting to be a poet, going around calling oneself a poet, becomes an excuse to be kind of a dick to your nearest and dearest and to other poets as well. I think it's important to be a human being first. Part of this, an important part of this is actually taking care of yourself, actually treating yourself like you deserve to be taken care of. I think it's a case of being less important than you think. The way I've heard it put is you are not a piece of shit that the world revolves around. You can take care of yourself and if you can do that, you might be able to take care of the people around you. Related to this, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about all the mountains of work that the people that I've spoken to do for no money, outside hours, voluntarily. And I think about those contributions and how they are essentially how poetry works. And I do actually think, I mean, there's, there's no getting around there's no, there's no magical pot of money going to show up, so there's no way around this, really. And I think it is, it is better, actually, to, to contribute than to sit back and, and wait for the things to come to you. But the caveat I would put on that is to 
try not to do it alone. Probably around about the time that I recorded that episode 99, because I was still running Sporting Poets, I have a really clear memory of one Sunday afternoon when the reading was on. I can't remember who was reading at this particular event, but it was on and I hadn't been feeling right all day. This is a really horrible story to tell post-COVID, um, but this is what happened. I was feeling really awful and kind of progressively got worse as the day went on. Um, and it got to 5.30, which is the time at which I had to be at the venue and make sure that the mic was all set up and that everything was working. And I realized that I was like properly sick. And I had driven over there and I had to get in the back of my car <laughs> and lie down in the back seat and just kind of, I don't know, pray that I, that I was gonna feel okay enough to get through the next hour and a half, two hours. That is such a stupid situation to get into. Like, seriously, I didn't have anyone else to call. And that's just ludicrous. Why the hell was I trying to do this all on my own? It's nuts. It's totally nuts. And I put myself in that position many, many times um, since then as well. This is why this is an anti-insight because this is not advice that I follow. But look, I, I managed to get through that reading, God knows how, and I am so sorry. <laughs> If I made anyone else sick, again, what a horrible story to tell um, in 2022. But in 2019, it seemed completely uh, reasonable to me in my insane brain that that's, that's what I was going to do. I was never going to cancel. God, no. The second thing I thought about was exactly that kind of urgency. That feeling of this has to happen and it has to happen now. I think that applies to so many aspects of poetry. Um, even from small things, like you finish a poem and then immediately you want to send it to someone because you want to get feedback. I just think it's a great idea to sleep on it. On that too, if you're sending it to get feedback, then expect to get feedback. Don't expect to get compliments. Uh, but if you want compliments, say, I would like some compliments on this, please. <laughs> but yeah, don't, don't send poems to people uh, the day that you finish them. Don't send them out for comment when you actually want compliments. I mean, sleeping on it is one thing. I guess ideally you would wait, I don't know, a week maybe even longer before that poem goes anywhere because it can only get better it can only get better with time this is a slow this is a slow art i think i'm better at at understanding that now than i used to be but look only because uh, i rushed the first uh, five to seven years of it and got everything that I thought that I wanted really quickly 
and um, then I was able to tell myself to slow down. So, mm, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think this also goes for criticism too. Uh, I know that it, I, I vaguely know that Elon Musk has bought Twitter now or is in charge of it in some way. Um, hopefully what he will do is create a, a way in which um, people can, th this is definitely what he's going to do, right? He's going to set something up where you can only post your tweet after it has sat in some kind of um, draft stage for 24 hours. Maybe instead what we could aim for is rephrasing hot takes as questions that you actually want an answer to, like genuine questions. Another thing I thought about that I wish I had realized earlier, um, I have this little piece of writing up on my pin board from um, the guy who used to write Salon's advice column, Carrie Tennis, and uh, I, gosh, I love Carrie so much. He was, he was so great. He's a bit mad, but he was really great when he was doing his thing. And I remember he wrote advice to a writer at one point who was just saying, look, I don't, I don't know if this is actually going anywhere. And in his answer, he said, all the practice you get makes you better. And I think now I want to expand this out to include not just the writing, but reading. I wish that I had read more than I wrote. I reckon like you want to be doing at least a five to one ratio of reading to writing. And not because it's like a duty or it makes you a better person, it's because it'll make you a better poet. Like you should do that selfishly. It only gets better with time and it only gets better the more that you read. I really, really thought, I think I said this to Felicity, um, I thought that if I read too much, I would somehow get corrupted and start sounding like other people. You will sound like other people, but then eventually you'll sound like yourself. On reading as well, I hope I say this often, I, I probably don't say it often enough. I think it's a very good thing to tell poets you read that you like their work. Don't wait. Take it from me. People, people die. Don't wait. I never got in touch with David Island and I really, really wish that I had because he was right there and I could have talked to him, but I didn't. Um, yeah, tell people because for the majority of people out there working, it's just that, that email, um, that's pretty much the only thing that they're going to get. And it means a whole lot more actually than, um, I don't know, being shortlisted or something. Like you can talk yourself out of, it's like, oh, they just did that because blah, 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 blah. Oops, somebody's out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think if you one-to-one -one send an email to a poet and say, this poem really moved me, thank you so much. Kind of nothing better than that. On that too, 
this is something that I, I try to do and often fail at. If you're sitting there wanting some head pats and some praise, maybe just give some. Thinking about connection and connection to other poets, I started to realize, um, it's definitely out now, it's definitely out. <laughs> I started to realize recently, because I've been doing this course um, with Brendan Casey, I say doing, I've been doing a terrible job of attending, but I have been getting a huge amount out of the classes that I have been to. Um, it's a course looking at Australian literature and the people who have passed through from overseas and, um, and had an impact on it. People like D.H. Lawrence, Ginsberg, and also expat poets was something we were looking at last night essentially looking at the way that Australian literature and poetry is connected to other places and people outside the country. And this has helped me to, because we know that this is a, a very, very small pond that we, that we work in, that we swim in. Ospo is a tiny, tiny world. But this has got me to look at it in a slightly different way. Like that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think for, for years and years and years, I've been thinking of that as a limitation. But what I'm starting to understand is that it actually means that I am very closely connected to the people whose work I most admire. And I'm actually this is going to sound very grandiose, but I'm actually part of a tradition. I, um, I find it very easy to kind of position myself in um, like opposition to or like below um, people whose work I admire, but I'm, I'm starting to think of it more as like a chain. So rather than me versus all those other people who have all those other um, signifiers of recognition and quote-unquote success and legacy. It's like, I feel like I can be part of that legacy. And I can see too how deeply, deeply important friendship between poets is not just in terms of mutual support, but also writing to and from each other, um, drawing on each other's work as a source of inspiration. I think friendship between poets might be pretty much the reason that we have a lot of poetry. This is a poem that Porter wrote for her friend, the poet Bruce Beaver, on Norfolk Island with Bruce. This time last year I was on chemo and bald in a week. Then another shock came out of the blue to tell me you'd died in your sleep. Too sick and groggy to go stunned to your funeral. Instead, I raked the sky for your soul's bird from the walls of my fumarole. Now I'm here and healthy among the huge Norfolk pines that wander 
like friendly free-range cattle through so many of your manly lines. I'm carrying your last book everywhere, like a love affair. A potent amulet against all my ghosts that fret my gut with dead, cold air. Suddenly, a local kingfisher flashes like a blue lightning crack through the salt-scoured stones of this cemetery. I know it's you, Bruce, electrically back, and I stand with my new hair on unearthly fire under the tail of your azure comet, watching you burnish this transient sky. On the friendship thing, this is kind of what I talked about in that 99th episode, but I'm gonna put it more strongly this time. Everyone is super fucking lonely. <laughs> this is just a fact. Like, everyone is super fucking lonely. And uh, of course, I guess for everyone, everyone everywhere all the time, but um, I think it probably goes for, for poets a little bit more because at its worst, in, in the dark times, being a poet means competing with your contemporaries for money and recognition and competing with the dead for legacy um, and competing for not just the accolades but for the attention of an audience that basically finds you about as interesting as a dentist's office poster. That's a lonely state of affairs. So yeah, write, write the email, send the message, go to the thing if you, if you can stand it. Don't go to the thing if you're sick. <laughs> Contribute with support. Be part of the chain if you can. Because, yeah, as I, as I said back then, I think this is just so, so true. Everybody feels like they are on the outside of a secret society. I think if somebody is trying to make you feel like you're on the outside of a secret society as a poet, like, fuck them, essentially. Like, what? think about what they have to gain and what they might have to lose by welcoming you in. I definitely understand the feeling, but I, I know for my part, it is 99.9% .9 in my head. I'm gonna breeze past this next one because I think it's a whole can of worms. You will never be as good as you want to be. That is not a reason to hate yourself, stop writing or start lashing out at other people. That's all I can say on that. <laughs> wow, they really are just like winning over there. Related to that, the work is the thing. My favorite podcaster who I've been listening to for 12 years uh, God, probably more than that now, said a long, long time ago, creativity is about doing something repeatedly without regard for whether you get a merit badge for it. And God knows I want the merit badges. I want them. But I also understand that the next milestone is only going to make me happy for so long. Years and years ago, I read a Time magazine profile of Tiger Woods. Yes, the very same. And the detail that stood out to me was that apparently as soon as he wins 
as soon as he would win a championship, he would immediately start thinking about the next thing that he had to do, the next goal, the next hurdle, the next achievement. And at the time, I was probably like 18 or something when I read that, I thought, wow, that's amazing. He's so driven. And now I think about that and I'm like, that guy's really fucked up. <laughs> that is not a good way to approach things. It's good to enjoy the work. If you don't enjoy it, if it doesn't give you that thrill, that's okay. There's, there's probably something else that does. I talk a lot about envy. On my good days, I try to use envy as information and I try to think about what is it telling me about what I want. It is very painful though, not gonna, not gonna lie. This is the first of three sonnets that Porter wrote. This one's after Byron, it's called, Is It Not The Thing? Trying to get a gutless friend to get it, Byron wrote, Is it not life? Is it not the thing? He was praising the bawdy spurt of his own poem, his own ballsy Don Juan. Every poet wants to write the poem that penetrates with the ice-cold shock of the devil's prick, the poem that will fuck you awake or kill you. Maybe a good antidote for... Envy is something else I've thought about a lot recently. I guess I think about it all the time, which is just staying in beginner's mind as much as you can. Like trying not to come to any conclusion that might um, cut you off from learning something. I was so desperate to be good at this that I, I had a very closed mind for um, I don't know like a good five years I would say and an inability to admit when I didn't know something if I hadn't read a poet it would be pretty it would be just as likely for me to to write them off as somebody that I didn't need to read yeah just just so much fear um, of not being good enough and yeah beginner's mind feels like the way out of that just to remember that you can you can always learn something else and that can only make you better second to last hot take here is um this is not a this is not a lesson that i have learned yet but it is something that i really i look forward to the day when i manage to figure this one out don't put someone else between you and your creative output. Yeah, cheers for that one. Um, essentially what I mean by that is like, don't make someone your creative director unless they know about it. Like unless you have contacted them and said, uh, I would like you to be my mentor. I would like you to check all my work and tell me if it's good or not. Um, that's okay, that's, that can be productive and great. But don't make it so that somebody else is in charge of whether you are happy with your creative output or not. Like, it's important to be able to be happy with it on your own terms. And again, 
I don't really know how to achieve this yet, but I know people who do and they seem happier than me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's tough, right? Because you want to you wanna look up to people, you want to have people that you admire, you want to have people who can give you direction and inspiration, um, but that can get twisted and turn sour um, and really take the fun out of it and can mean that you end up doing things that make you unhappy because you think that you have to because person XYZ is, is gonna like it. It's tough. I'm stealing my final point here. Things I, I wish I knew before or things that I wish I could take on board from Ramdas. Love everyone and tell the truth. Yeah, it's sappy. But like, how fucking great would your life be if you could do that though? And when it comes to poetry, if, if, uh, if I could step away from, from the NB, um, from the uh, suspicion, <laughs> the paranoia, um, and just approach everyone on, on good terms, and also at the same time, tell the truth, I think I'd be doing pretty well. Those are my insights. Uh, as I say, I don't know if any of this is going to actually be usable or if it's just all cricketers, background noise, and me sounding slightly cold, which I am now. Um, I just wanna thank you so, so much for listening to this show. It is I don't thank people often enough. I also don't say often enough how much I love doing it. I fucking love making the show. It's just the best. <laughs> and on that, if you have somebody who you would like to send me on a mission to talk to, um, then let me know because I'm kind of at a point now where um, I feel like I can approach uh, pretty much anyone. Uh, I know how to get in touch with a publicist these days and I know how to be persistent without being annoying. So let me know. I, I, I won't say yes to all of, the, all of the requests, but I will, I will consider them all. That's me. That was me in the park. Thank you for listening. Thank you for corresponding. Thank you for being there. I'm going to head inside and uh, probably watch Will and Grace. Bye. Miss you back teeth the ground, me and I barely slept this week. But you're lovely in the morning, all reminding me why I should be sorry. Say I love your brain, but I hate it when it pushes me away. Well, it's been down and now you're finally finding out that I'm not supposed to get better. But I said I won't be quite like this forever Cause I'm a liar and a thief